Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. I'm going to give you today a crash course in how to run your brain for phenomenal success. I have been extraordinarily lucky, not in my early life, but certainly in my adult life, because I am an unusual therapist. I never want to be a conventional therapist. And I've always been fascinated by how the mind works. You know, I spent all my adult life studying human behavior, studying how the mind works. And when you work with people like that, you really see something extraordinary, often very good, but sometimes really how their mind works is actually to their detriment. So when I was in therapy school, I was taught what all therapists are taught. Oh, my God, the mind is so complicated. It takes a lifetime to even understand it, let alone master it. And when I started working, I thought, you know what? I'm just not going to believe that because I was so privileged in working with extraordinary people. I worked out very quickly that you need to know three things about your brain. And if you know what these three things are, and here they are, And if you understand them and put them into practice, you can have pretty much whatever you want. So I'm going to start with number three. That is the one that therapists find the most frustrating. Your mind loves what is familiar. It doesn't really like what is unfamiliar. We're still wired as tribes people. And in a tribe, you didn't really do anything too unfamiliar. That was dangerous. So the human mind likes what is familiar and it doesn't like what is unfamiliar. Do you know how many lottery winners have lost all their money within two years of winning it? I met this guy, I was doing a show in Edinburgh with lottery winners who've lost everything. He won 10 million sterling, lost the whole lot in two years, works in a biscuit factory, makes 200 pounds a week and said he's happier. He didn't like that money. What was familiar to him was spending his paycheck every week. And when he got that 10 million, he got rid of the whole lot. So you've got to make the familiar unfamiliar. It's not difficult. It changes your life. So I'm working on this show in England, and I'm taking celebrities who are very fat, and I'm making them thin. And of course, weight is an interesting thing. Do you know that 98% of diets fail? 2% succeed. And so some of these celebrities, we gave them everything, dieticians, exercise machines, lose a bit of weight, and then they'd have a pizza to celebrate. After every weigh-in, they'd order ice cream. It's like, no, 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 guys, you've got to make this new behavior familiar. You can't celebrate with Ben and Jerry's. Anyway, the show is very good, and it got sold to America, and I got sold to America. Very exciting. So I've gone to L.A., and my producers called me and went, I really need your help. One of our major celebrities, because in America they were bigger in terms of stars and they were bigger in terms of weight too. He said, he's having a meltdown. We're really worried he's going to walk off the show. If he walks off the show, we're kind of screwed. So go to his house today and do whatever you can. Keep him on the show. I'm like, I'll go now. He's like, uh, what kind of car have you got? I'm like, i got a Mustang. You rented it for me. Thank you. He's like, okay. You cannot put that Mustang outside his house. You can only have a Porsche or a Ferrari or a Jaguar outside this house. So don't even put it on the street. That will wind him up. Put it around the corner. So I'm driving along to Beverly Hills in my, I thought, very cool Mustang. And I turn up at this, like, massive, extraordinarily stunning house. I knock on the door. He lets me in. He says, um, 
I don't know why they sent some Brit here to sort me out. You know, I've been in every rehab. I've been everywhere. I've seen every therapist. No one can help me. I'm like, let me see what I can do. And then he said to me, you have the look of my third wife. Something about you reminds me. She was such a disappointment to me. <laughs> so I'm like, this is an amazing house. Wow. We went, I hate this house. I'm leaving. And I hate my neighbours. I'm moving. So I'm like, okay. And then I notice he has a BAFTA. And I'm like, you have a BAFTA? He went, do you know what a curse it is to get a BAFTA? Every time I make a film, I'm expected to get another BAFTA. So I'm like, do you know what? I know what's wrong with you. He's like, really? What? What? I said, you just don't think you're enough, do you? Oh, wait, this is already up for you. You do not think that you are enough. And considering how cranky he was, big tears started to leak out of his eyes. He said, do you think that's true? And I'm like, come on. I know it's true, and so do you. I mean, look, you can't have a car on your drive unless it's a Porsche. You've had four ex-wives have all disappointed you. Your BAFTA is a curse, and you don't like this amazing house. But anyway, look, tell me about your life. So he's now quite mellow, and he's telling me his life. He's raised in a trailer park. They have no money his dad's a construction worker. When he can get work, the mum works as a night nurse for more money. And they're pretty much dirt poor. And because the mum's working nights every day, he cooks his dad a construction worker's dinner of meat, vegetables, potatoes. And he has this weird stuff I've never heard of called saps, which is milk soaked in bread. And I'm like, did your dad ever share his food? He went, are you kidding? He would share that with a dog before he even gave me his leftovers. I'm like, well, there it is. If your own father doesn't like you, if you don't even get the same food that you cook from, if he prefers the dog to you, none of your needs are met. Now, children must idealise their parents. That is a fact. You have to idealise your parents. And when your parents are wrong, you can't ever get that. So you think, I'm wrong. So what you've done is very common. I'm not enough. That's why my parents treat me like this. I'm going to get better and then they'll be great. And that is the driver that has made you extraordinarily famous and successful. But guess what? You still think you're not enough. And all this stuff is never going to help you because you don't feel enough. So if I was a doctor, I was diagnosing you. Here's your diagnosis. You don't think you're enough. And here's your prescription. I want you to say it every day in the shower, I'm enough. What else are you going to say in there? Oh, I love the smell of this Jo Malone shampoo. <laughs> I'm enough. You say that over and over and over again. So he's quite up for it. So we've gone around his house, and I've written on all his mirrors in big lips. He's got a lot of lipstick with four ex-wives. I'm enough. <laughs> I said, just say it, say it, say it. So I've written it, and I've taken his phone, and I've put it on his phone alerts every morning, every night. It pings with... I am enough. Anyway, I've, he stayed on the set and we've done a little bit of work. And then I've had to come back to London because I'm doing both shows, six weeks here, six weeks there. Six weeks later, I'm back on my set and I'm going onto the studio. I'm on the lot and I'm walking to the recording studio and I see someone only about as far away as you. And when I see him and he sees me, he starts to undo his trousers. Then he undoes his shirt and I'm like is this guy really going to flash me on a lot in L.A.? And where is security? And then I realise it's him. And when I get close, he went, look at me. I have lost so much weight. Look how flat my stomach is. He said, I never would have believed that those three words 
could change my life. I went, well, they do that. They changed my life. That's why I teach this stuff. He went, no, but no, but guess what? I've sold the Porsche. He goes, I've got a Mini. Now I'm not a fat, cranky bastard. I don't need that Porsche. And guess what else? I've just started to date a hairdresser. He said, all my girlfriends have been models and actresses. He said, I'm having a normal life. He said, it's like amazing. So I stayed in touch with him. And a couple of years ago, he called me and went, guess where I am? I'm like, tell me. He said, I'm fishing in Iceland. And guess what else? I'm happy. So I've never been happy in my life. I've just got a normal life and I'm so happy. So I'm back in England and a psychiatrist calls me because I do very unusual work. Occasionally when psychiatrists can't get anywhere, they send me their clients. And this psychiatrist said, look, we've got this girl. She's tried to kill herself. She's been sectioned. I don't know what to do with her. I'm so scared she's going to jump out of a window can you come and see what you can do? So I'm like, sure, I've worked with him a lot. So I've gone to this hospital and I've read her notes and I understand what's going on. Her mother killed herself when she was young. She found her mother. She's a city trader earning three million sterling a year. She's a compulsive shopper and she's just tried to jump under a train. So I've gone into her room and I've said, do you know what's wrong with you? She went, oh yes, I have manic depression. I'm bipolar. I'm a compulsive shopper and I'm a hoarder. I'm like you don't think you're enough. I said, all this other stuff. Your mum tried to kill herself, well, did kill herself, and you found her, and any child going through that would think the same thought. If I was enough, how would my mum do that? I wasn't even enough for my mum to live or not even to kill herself where I didn't find her. And all this shopping is just filler for the fact that you don't think you're enough. And I said, and I want to help you. She said, well, I'm going to kill myself. It's not if, it's when. I'm like, well, okay. But before you do that, how about you just have a month of saying, and they're not letting you out of here anyway, so how about just saying I'm enough? They're not letting you near any windows, so you're going to be locked in this room for a while, but how about just doing it? So I did the same thing, took her phone, put on it, I'm enough, and it goes off every morning, every night, wrote it on her mirror, because she was so very fragile. I made her a recording. I hypnotized her. I sat next to her and I just said in her ear over and over again, you are enough, you are enough. I made her say it back. Because she's so fragile, I start to text her every day saying, you're enough. And she starts to text me back, I am enough. And this girl had such a phenomenal transformation. She gave up her job. She started a charity for depressed people. And this TV station's got her story and she's going to be on the TV. And they said, can you come on as well? Because you helped her. I'm okay. So I've gone on the TV. This is not about me, the show. It's about her. But at one stage, the anchorman looked at me and went, but what did you do? What did you do that no one else did? And I kind of took a bit of a breath. I thought, oh, my God, they're going to think this is really woo-woo, really L.A. I went, well... I told her she was enough. I made her a recording to listen to every day. I wrote it on her hand. I wrote it on her mirror. And I waited for him to roll his eyes and he went, oh my God, I love that. I'm going to go home and I'm going to write that on my mirror. And I think all our viewers will love that. So I've gone home and I have thousands of emails saying, "Um, where can I get this book called I'm Enough? It's not a book. It's a part of a book. So I'm home and the psychiatrist rang me and went, oh, I saw the show. I said, what did you think? He went, oh, my God, it's so depressing. I'm like, what, the mother? No, you cured that girl in an hour. I have been working with her for years. 
I'm like, well, why don't you do what I do? I mean, I don't understand. Every psychiatrist is taught the common denominator of all our problems is we don't feel good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, lovable enough. So when you do that psychiatrist, how do you feel today? And how did that make you feel? Which is really psychiatrist. I don't have a clue what to do with you. So I just keep saying, and how did that make you feel? Stop doing that shit. Go straight to what's wrong with them. It doesn't matter what they feel. They don't feel enough. And then what's really interesting is I've got it going on in my house. So my daughter is an artist. And in her first showing, she sold two-thirds of all her work in one night. And then it stopped. And she went, oh, mummy, you know, it's so hard being an artist. I just don't think I can do this anymore because people aren't buying my work. And I'm like, well, you know, baby, you have picked a career with a lot of rejection, and you've got to learn that they're not rejecting you because you've actually made your art really edgy and dark. It used to be really pretty, and maybe people don't like that. But let me help you out. You mustn't let rejection in. They're not rejecting you. So I've written on her mirror, I'm enough, in her bedroom, in her studio, next to in her bathroom. She said, oh, Mum, that is so lame. I am not having that on my walls because all my friends are going to laugh at me. And I'm like, well, you know, baby... You can take it off any time you like, but how about just leaving it for a little while? So I've gone back to the States, I've come back, I've run upstairs, and there's my daughter painting, 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 and it's still up. It's on all her walls. And I'm like, oh, you didn't take it down? She went, you know, Mom, I was going to, but all my friends went home and wrote it on their wall. And my boyfriend wrote it on his wall, and I put it on my Facebook page, and it got so many likes... So I left it up there. <laughs> it's still up there now. So now I've got this plumber in my house, and he's going, what's all that on your wall? What, what is that? I'm enough. And I went, well, you know, it's my little philosophy. Changing the world is a big ask, but I want to change people. And the way to change them is by making them feel they're enough. And so he went, my son, he said he's so angry all the time. He said he's a bit of a nerd. He hasn't got any friends, and I don't know what to do. Shall I go home and write that on his mirror? I'm like, no, because you are dorky, stupid dad. Never do that. <laughs> write it on your fridge in big fridge magnets and write it on your bathroom toilet mirror downstairs, or if you have a hall, write it there. Anyway, 12 days later, he's back with my plumbing part. I've never had a plumber more keen to get back into my house. He's not going to rip me off. He said, oh, my God. He said, that's, like, so weird. He said, he's still a nerd, but he's a happy nerd. He's joined some nerdy club, and he's got some nerdy friends, and he's not angry. He said, but even more weird, my wife, who's going through the menopause, was so sad. She says that every day. He said, I want to write it on the mirror of every bathroom I'm working in. I'm like, no, no, you really can't do that yet. Maybe one day. <laughs> so this I'm enough, it really changes people. As a lot of you in this room, you're interesting people. Creative people are very, very suggestible. It's a huge gift when you understand that if you're creative, you're suggestible. Whatever you tell your mind, it believes. And unfortunately, a lot of my clients are rather like the Philip Seymour Hoffmans, the Heath Ledgers, the Robin Williams of the world that think they're not enough and give themselves really, really bad suggestions. So I'm sure some of you are going, hey, Marissa, I'm way ahead of you. I have known this for 10 years. I know I'm enough. I don't need this stuff, which is great. What about your children, your wives, your husbands, your staff, your friends, your family? They really need this stuff. So last month, I got this very interesting job. Condé Nast said, 
fly to Paris. We want you to speak to the um, editor of every single Vogue and every Vogue Traveller and all our magazines about why magazines aren't selling. It's like, oh, that's not really my remit, but hey, whatever. So I've got on Eurostar, gone to Paris, and I'm going to tell them the truth. Do you know why magazines don't sell? Because you make women feel they're not enough. And while fashion is all wonderful and lovely, and I'm the first one to go, I love my Prada handbag. You could do so much more by meeting someone's emotional needs. So anyway, they're in the room. As I'm putting up my slides, they're all getting out their cameras, and they're all taking pictures. And I'm telling them this story. I gave a talk for Ernst & Young, and when I finished, I said, any questions? They went, yes could you come back and give another talk as soon as possible? I'm like, sure. So I've gone back, and this woman has run up and went, oh, my God, you changed my life in 10 minutes. And she said, look what I've got on my hand. I'm like, is that pen? She went, no, it's a tattoo. I've had it tattooed on my hand, and it's changed my life. So all the Vogue editors are taking a picture of this. And I said the same thing to them. Actually, there were some guys in the room. I wasn't expecting that. And I said, look, some of you probably are enough and you've got everything and you're at the top of your game and there's a CEO of Condé Nast. So I said, but you know, you have the same thing. You have daughters, you have sons, you have family members, you have people that need this stuff. So even if you don't need it, do it for them. Anyway, when I finished them, that was so awesome. They said, we're cancelling the whole day and we're taking you out to dinner. And they didn't even put on the next speaker. They did put him on the next day. The head of Condé Nast said, you know what? I'm so glad you said that. He said, because I am okay. I've got everything. I'm happy with my two daughters. They come on shoots. They meet top models. He said, the eldest one is already beginning to show signs of anorexia. I am going home. I am so invested and I'm enough. So I'm going to put that on their walls. I'm going to have a piece of art commissioned. Of course, the head of Condé Nast would have a piece of art commissioned. And it's going to say, I'm enough. And I went to see one of my clients in Spain recently. And she knows she's enough. She's got everything. She's beautiful, lovely, spiritual. Got a great company. I've walked in her office and she has a bank of computers. And everyone is trinkling with this screensaver saying, I'm enough. And she said, you know what? I put that on there for my staff because they're all like young girls, young women. But actually what's happened is they're better employees. They're also content. They don't seem to have time off sick. So it's become a win-win. So how many of you can actually put your hand on your heart and go, yeah, maybe, maybe somewhere I don't feel enough? You see, we're all born knowing we're enough. When I used to take my little baby out in her pram, I'd go, oh, my God, your baby's so cute. And she didn't go, don't look at me. I'm having a bad hair day. I have these triple knees, and I got a dirty nappy. She would kick her little legs and smile, because when you're a kid, you know you're enough. You get a round of applause when you pee in the toilet. <laughs> you blow your nose, you go, oh, my God, he can blow his own nose. You say the word cup, they go, he's a genius. He just said cup. And then you go to school. And, you know, my daughter's gone to this private school. She's come back. She said to me, Mommy, what is a waste of space? I'm like, where did you hear that? She said, my teacher said I'm a waste of space because I couldn't draw a circle. Okay. A couple of weeks later, I'm taking her into school. And she said, Mommy, you see that little boy? He can write his name in a box. I can't do that. I'm like, baby, your name is Phaedra. The P goes down, the H goes up. It's a beautiful, unusual name. His name is Sam. In a year, (laughs) everyone can write their name in a box. Who 
cares. You're a beautiful artist. You're clever. You're funny. Do not compare yourself to someone who can write their name in a box called Sam. But that's what schools do. And that's what you're up against. So how many of you here are willing to write that on your mirror? How many of you are going to do that, not just for you, but for someone else? You know, you hear that saying, if you make a difference to one person, your life has meaning and purpose. And if you do that, you're going to make a difference to so many, many people. So your mind doesn't care what you tell it. It believes everything you say. So let me just go back to this lemon. Okay, let me show you how your mind is. Your mind doesn't care if what you tell it is right or wrong, good or bad, healthy or unhealthy. It lets it all in. So here's a lemon, big, fat, juicy lemon. Imagine you've got this in your hand. Put everything down. Put your hand in front of your mouth. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine you're breathing in this wonderful lemon. It's like, oh, that great lemon smell. And you're squeezing that lemon. Open your mouth. Cram that lemon into your mouth. Start sucking it and biting it and chewing the flesh. Suck out that flesh and chew it and bite it. And you all know what's happening. Your mind's like, oh, my God, you're eating a lemon. That's really damaging to tooth enamel. Let me wash that away. And you're making saliva to a thought because your mind doesn't care. It lets in anything you tell it. So let me show you another one. Everyone stand up and everyone point their left arm at me. So take your arm, put it as far behind as it will go, push it to its limit, look at where it is, bring it back, drop your arm down, close your eyes, stay where you are. And I want you to say to your arm, I'm going to repeat this in a minute, you are going to go a third further. Just tell your arm you will go a third further. See, all the muscles in your arm, like Play-Doh, like elastic, you're like Barbie now, or Ken, you've got a super flexible arm and it's going to go right behind you. So see it going a third further. Tell your arm to go a third further. Point your arm out at me again. Before you start, just know it is going to go a third further because you told it to and because you've seen it. Do it again and just watch as your arm goes a whole third further. Because you told it to. So let's do one more. Thank you. This is your mind, guys. Your mind will do what you tell it. Now that you know that, Tell it great things all the time. It does what you say. You know, I work with infertility. It's not woo-woo. I have extraordinary success at women who are 40 getting pregnant because they've said when they're 17, if I get pregnant, I'll be at the end of the world. Oh, my God, it'd be a nightmare to have a baby. And then they can't get pregnant. And I tell them, I tell their body to be super fertile, to give them a perfect egg. They get pregnant, they have perfect births because your mind does what you tell it. But when you go, that'll be a nightmare, that'll be a disaster. It goes, well, we're not going to go there. So... Hands by your side, feet together. You need to all close your eyes. This is nothing scary, it's just fun, just seeing your own power. So with your eyes closed and your feet by your side, feet together, hands I want you to imagine right in front of your chin is the most powerful magnet. It is pulling you forwards. You are hinging forwards from the chin. That magnet is so powerful, it is pulling you pulling you, pulling you, your knees are locking, you really need to go up onto your tiptoes as that magnet pulls you and pulls you and pulls you forward, forward. Don't try to stop it, it's completely safe. And now, 
eyes closed, that magnet has gone to the back of the back of your head and your whole head is pulling backwards, backwards, backwards. You're leaning back, you're hinging back, your knees are locking, your toes are coming right up into the air as that magnet pulls you backwards, backwards, backwards. And now it's gone right to the left of your left shoulder. And just like the leaning tower of Pisa, you are leaning, your ear is pulled to the left, your whole body is hinging, you're going right onto the side of your left foot as that magnet pulls you and pulls you and pulls you to the left. And open your eyes and take a seat. <laughs> you see how powerful you are. Your mind does whatever you say. So I don't understand people going, oh, I'm going to fuck that up. That's not going to work. I know I'll get that wrong. That's going to be a disaster. So... Make the familiar unfamiliar. One of the things that's really, really important to make familiar is praise. And one of the things to make unfamiliar is criticism. And if criticism is familiar and praise is unfamiliar, guess what happens? I might say to you, I love that talk you gave earlier. And you're going to go back, do you know it wasn't very good? I forgot the best bit. And the other person was much better. I might say to you, I love that shirt. And you're going to go, I've had it for five years, got a hole in it. I got it in a secondhand shop. What are you doing? You don't like praise because it's unfamiliar, so you're rejecting it. And you are adding in criticism because that is familiar. Who here does that? Anyone here do that? Okay, you've got to stop because the major cause of depression are harsh, hurtful, critical words that you say to yourself over and over again. Scientists know this. They've known it for 10 years I'm going to tell you that again. The major cause of depression is harsh, hurtful, critical words that you say to you. So we know that praise massively boosts your self-esteem. And guess what diminishes it? Criticism. Criticism withers people. Praise builds them up. But your own praise is more effective than someone else's. If I said to my PA, oh my God, you're indispensable to me. I just love you. Could you work all weekend? I have an agenda. But when you praise yourself, there's no agenda. So I'm working with this novelist. He's really, really very, very depressed indeed. He's right on the edge. And every time I say something to him, I'm like, oh, my dad loved that film. He goes, oh, it was terrible. The director got it all wrong. The casting agent was wrong. He cannot let him praise at all. And his story. So when he was 17, he was in love with this girl in his village. He was in love with him. His parents wanted to move 300 miles away. He didn't want to go. And his girlfriend's parents said, you can come and live with us because she'll be heartbroken if you move. And his parents said, if you move, we will never speak to you again. So he moved. They cut him off at the knees. They didn't even give him an address or a photo. They never saw him. He married this girl, had three children, hugely successful, and she died. And her parents died in an accident, and now this guy is alone and devastated. And he finds his parents, and he says to them, I'm all alone, I just need you. They're like, okay, well, look, you've done very well. Could you buy us a house? Okay, with a swimming pool. Okay, so he's bought them this amazing house, and they are the most critical, mean, withholding people who've never praised him. And his dad's died. And now he's gone into this deep depression. And I understand that, because he's never got praised. So... I'm talking about this missing thing. And I said to him, listen, what do you want? What did you want your dad to say? And I knew what it was. He couldn't even say it. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I went, you are a good son. His shoulder started to shake. 
he started to shake. He cried so much. He couldn't even hear me. So then I went, listen, let this in. You are a good son. Your dad is never going to tell you. The fact that he's dead, he wouldn't say it when he was alive, but you say it. So I'm now making him say, I'm a good son. I'm a good son. I can't even tell you how it transformed him. So how many of you here have got a missing part, something, some teacher, parent, ex-girlfriend, boyfriend, someone has never said to you that you like to hear. And it's all pretty much the same stuff. I'm a good kid. I'm a loving person. I'm clever. You know, my teachers always told me I was stupid. And I let that in, and now I don't let it in. And I thought I was hideously ugly too, but it doesn't matter because you can change. So everyone close your eyes. And you're going to say out loud what it is you want to hear. No one's listening to you because we're all doing our own stuff. So I want you to say it. Say it out loud right now. Make it familiar. I am enough. I am enough. enough. I've always been enough. enough. And now I know that I'm enough. enough. Everyone else knows it too. (laughs) And I will always be enough. And open your eyes. So what you're doing here is you're making the familiar unfamiliar. But the other thing about the brain, which is really interesting, is that it does what it thinks you want. And you've got to be very careful telling your brain what you want. So when I'm working on the show, I'm watching these Marines, and I'm noticing that these Marines are running up a hill in pitch black with a miner's light on their head, carrying their own weight in a backpack, and they're singing. And this is how the brain works. So the Marine's running up the hill, and he's singing, and the mine's going, Um, you seem to be running up a hill in the pouring rain with a miner's light strapped to your head through sheep shit with half your body weight in your back and you're soaking wet and the marine's going, yeah, bring it on, I love it, I'm singing. And the brain's like, oh yeah, I kind of am getting that with the singing, you like this? Well, if you like it, I don't need to do anything. But of course, the celebrity is like, if you think I'm going out in that rain with a miner's light on my head, you are insane. If you think I'm exercising in the rain, you're mad. So they told their brain they didn't want to do it. So you've got to tell your brain what you want. So what happens when you say, oh, God, I'm working so hard. I really want to have a day off. I'd love a week off lying in bed. Your brain's like, you want time to yourself? Leave that with me. There you go. I've given you the flu. How cool is that? Now no one's coming near you. Because this is not communicating with your brain. So if you have your own business, you just do a little differently. Okay, I'm working all weekend. Kind of hard, but hey, I want my own business. I want success. I'm choosing to do this. These two words, I'm choosing to do this. And I'm choosing to feel great about it will change your life. So you go, I'm choosing to do this. I'm choosing to work nights. I want this. I want to write my book through the night. I feel good. And your brain's like, really? Oh, really? And let me use even more important words. I'm elated writing my book all night. I'm delighted to spend weekends working. Your brain's like, yeah, I'm getting that with the words. Nothing for me to do except I can set you on fire. You're going to write through the night now because you love this stuff. Your brain doesn't care. So you've got to be very careful how you communicate with your brain. So who here isn't having great communication and having their mind understand. They want to be really healthy and fit and have a great diet and not eat cake or pizza. Okay, so this is bad communication with the brain. Give you a quick demo. So you're in a restaurant and you go, oh my God, they have pizza. I love pizza, but I'm on a diet. And your brain goes, pizza? 
Oh, you've got to eat the pizza. You love pizza. No, I'm on a diet. Yeah, but last time you went, oh, my God, this is better than sex. Your brain's like, eat the pizza. No, I'm, I'm having salad. Your brain's like, salad? When did that ever give you intense pleasure? Eat the pizza. Now you go, now I feel really bad. I've eaten the pizza. I feel guilty. Your brain's like, have more pizza. That's why we call it comfort food. And now you go, now I feel fat. I feel guilty. I feel bad. And your brain's like, have a beer. Have some ice cream. Because what you've done is your brain does what it thinks you want. And when you go, I want pizza, but I need to be thinner. I want ice cream, but on a diet, you just crank up the desire. This is how you get it right. Really easy. Same situation. Oh, they have pizza. Yeah, it does look nice. But you know what looks really nice? Is when I get on the scales every day and I'm my perfect weight. When my clothes look great. And your brain's like... No, you love pizza. Yeah, I thought I loved pizza, but actually I love being fit and healthy. Really? Really? And just so you know, I'm going to use words like it thrills me to eat salad. It delights me to take control of my health. It makes me feel good. When I'm 95, I can eat pizza. Right now, I want to look really hot in my underwear. Maybe out of my underwear too. And when I'm 95, that door is shut. So right now... I'm going to choose to be thin. I'm going to choose to feel great. And your brain goes, oh, yeah, I get that. I get that. And you know what? I didn't learn any of this from a book. I learned it from my clients. I've got sent to work with this actress who's stunning, and she's not eating. They've had to shut down the set because of what she did. So what she's done, she eats cotton wool soaked in zero-calorie squash every day and sometimes blotting paper. That's her varied diet. Cotton wool, blotting paper, zero-calorie squash to fill up her stomach. And she can do it if she locks herself in the trailer while they're filming. But the director, apparently he's so incredibly unreasonable according to her, so he's making her rehearse and all the food trucks have come in and now she's smelling the food she wants to eat. So she's run into the bathroom and she started cramming toilet paper into her mouth, a lot of toilet paper, and she starts to choke and security kicked down the door, got rid of glamorous job, pull out all this toilet paper out of her mouth. And have said, you know, now our insurance is invalidated. You can't do that anymore. So they brought me in and she said, listen, I am not giving that up. I would rather die than be fat. I would do anything to be thin. Do you know how hard it is to eat half a toilet roll dry? Unless you tell your mind, I want to do this. So the thing with the brain is you've got to tell it what you want. I want this. I've chosen it. I've chosen to feel great about it. Your mind does what it thinks you want. And this is not positive thinking. This is clear, precise, specific programming with your mind. When you tell it, I want this, I've chosen it, I love it, I feel great about it. Why do you think junkies can squirt heroin straight into their eyeball or inject themselves into the nipple or into their perineum because they say this is fantastic you and I wouldn't say that your mind doesn't care so tell it great stuff see these are all the words we use this is hell this is driving me insane your mind responds to two things the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself there is nothing else and now that you know that you can change the pictures you can change the words there's no hell in your supermarket. It isn't a torture to be in traffic. So when you go on a plane, what do you think? See, I'm waiting to get on a plane. I'm at the front of the queue, and this woman in front of me is crying. She's shaking. 
And her husband's begging and pleading, please, baby, get on the plane. And the ground crew are like, okay, we've already called staff. We're now taking her bags off the plane. She cannot get on the plane like that. So I'm like, oh, my God. Now they're going to take her luggage off. We're all going to miss our slot. I've got to see this client. I've got one half day to see him. And the flight's going to take her off three hours late. So I said, listen, let me help you. I would have helped her anyway. I said, what's going on? And she said, um, I'm terrified of flying. I'm like, she said, look, look at that plane. That's a flying coffin. I'm like, well, that would make anyone terrified of flying. So I said to her, what did you do last night? I knew. She said, um, oh, well, I did all my laundry. Why is that? Well, if I die, I don't want anyone going through my laundry basket. I'm like, do you do that when you go to the store? No, of course I don't. I'm like, no, because you don't even have a fear of flying. Do you know what you have? You have a fear of not being in control. But guess what? When you change the pictures in your head, it changes everything. So I can get you on that plane in a few minutes. And I was telling her that I took my daughter on a ride to Disneyland. I thought we were going to go round and round. We got on this thing. It went up and then it went down. I thought my brain was going to be scrambled in my head. I can't tell you how much I hated it. My daughter started screaming. She couldn't. So I started shouting out, oh, I love this. This is fantastic. This is amazing. My daughter's looking at me like, really? And when we went down again, it started, she goes, Mom, did you like that? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> but I knew that if I started going, oh, my God, I hate it. I'm going to intensify the pain. And if I say I love it, my brain's confused. She goes, well, I was confused. Halfway through, I kind of started to like it. <laughs> so I was telling this one, I said, when we get on the plane... We're going to confuse your brain. We're going to hold hands. We're going to go, I love it. This is like being at a fun fair. So she's like, okay. And then she said to me, do you want me to lie to my brain? I'm like, hell yes. I want you to lie and cheat and steal. She's like, what? Yeah, lie to your brain, cheat fear, and steal back that phenomenal confident you were born with as a kid. You didn't even know what fear of flying was. So lie, cheat, and steal. So we got on the plane. She's lying, cheating, stealing. It's the title of my new book, because I'm very unconventional. I love that. All these surveys going, oh my God, how could you call a book lie, cheat, and steal? That's so disingenuous. Anyway, we got on the plane. I hold her hand. We pretend we're at the fun fair. We take off. And then she looks at me and went, oh my God, why did no one tell me how easy this is? Can it be that easy? Yes, it can. And then she said to me, well, why doesn't everyone know about this? I'm like, yeah, I'm working on that. I need a lot of help. So you guys can really help me with this thing. So let me just summarize everything we've done today, because it is not hard work, I promise you. First of all, you're going to make anything that is negative unfamiliar. You're going to make anything that is positive, really, really familiar. You're going to change the pictures in your head. You're going to change the words. And you're going to tell your brain what you want. Never forget that magnet, because it's going to tell you what you want. See, you can even hold lions once you get your brain in a different state, because you just become fearless. Tell your brain what you want. Make the familiar unfamiliar, the familiar unfamiliar if it's negative change the pictures and words in your head, and finally, use these words all the time. I have chosen to do this. I've chosen to feel great about it, and I'm enough. And if you just did the last two, if you only did the last two, that is so phenomenal. So I'm not going to tell you that this will change your life. Hell no. I'm going to promise you. I'm going to guarantee you that if you tell yourself you're enough, 
Use those words. I've chosen this. Tell your brain what you want using really specific, detailed, up-to-the-minute, relevant words. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.